Welcome everyone to the Dining on a Dime podcast, where we give you tips on how to save on your monthly food budget. Now we give you the absolute best foodie news, and our professionals will give you recipes and cooking tips. So let's get the show started. All right, welcome to an exciting edition of Dining on a Dime. Here's what you're going to hear today. First, we're going to start off by telling you all about coffee. I have fun facts about coffee, plus our expert panel will uh, add in uh, their expert opinions on coffee. Coffee is a big deal now that the pandemic, since the pandemic. Then we have an outstanding segment about healthy cocktails. Everyone is trying to lighten up their cocktails uh, because they're stuck at home. Uh, Healthy cocktails are a big trend now. Uh, Our expert panel not only talks about healthy cocktails, but they actually give you uh, recipes for healthy cocktails. And then we have an exciting interview with the Wizzle Food Truck. With Chris Coco, who who is running a ghost kitchen right now out of Bud's Cafe in Norwood, PA. Um, It's absolutely delicious. You should check him out. And that'll be later in the show. And then we interviewed a CSA. Chef Gene did a great job. Go ahead, Chef. CSA. So Anchor Run Farms in Wrightstown, Bucks County, wonderful CSA. And if you're not familiar with the CSA, it's Community Supported Agriculture, where you can buy shares of a farm and get fresh organic produce all summer long and more than you can use for your family. And Chef and our panel did an excellent interview with Anchor. Let's get started. I'm going to give a couple fun facts about coffee so people uh, can enjoy First fun fact that I found out about coffee is that you can actually overdose on coffee. You can die from drinking a whole bunch of coffee at one time. I found that interesting. Uh, Decaffeinated coffee does not mean caffeine-free. There is a little bit of decaf, or I'm sorry, a little bit of caffeine in your decaffeinated coffee. Keep that in mind. Uh, Starbucks is named after a character in Moby Dick, which I found fascinating. And they had a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, a lot of options on the table about what to name Starbucks, and they chose the character from Moby Dick. Matt Marite is basically our beverage expert. Now, what are your thoughts about coffee, Matt? Well, I really like coffee, and I I think if I had some caffeine, it might help me remember the last time I read Moby Dick, yeah, right. <laughs> to get this reference that apparently I've missed <laughs> for my entire life. Uh, but coffee, obviously a fantastic beverage. And I know we're going to be talking about healthy cocktails a little bit later today. Coffee can be a really healthy drink. Yes. It's been linked in studies to show that it can reduce your chances of heart disease, uh, kidney disease. It helps improve liver function. And you know, uh, for a lot of people, caffeine, uh, not just a stimulant, but it's also a little bit of a nootropic. So it helps your brain, you know, fire a little bit better. And there are studies going on about this all the time. Everybody wants to know, is coffee good? Is coffee bad? Yeah, that's an excellent point you made. Coffee has many health benefits. And I wrote a few down. Uh, Chef, let's get your input on coffee. What's your thought? Well, I want to go on with Matt and 100% agreement. The studies have shown that people who drink coffee tend to live longer. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's wow. a wonderful yeah. thing. At that rate, I'm good for 120, 125. So I'm probably <laughs> going to outlive my children. Um, I start the day with, you know, 
coffee and I continue all day. And as I'm looking at my giant Gatorade bottle here, there's probably still 20 ounces in there. But I'll finish before the end of the day. Yeah. What about you, Amaris? What are your thoughts on coffee? I mean, as I sit here drinking coffee from Starbucks, right. um, feel free to promote us and give us sponsorship. Uh, <laughs> It, it keeps me going. And I know that it is a health benefit. Um, for me, it's just a, a survival benefit. Um, I I run all day. So I and I mean, like 7 a.m. to 2 a.m. So for me, coffee is like I have to have it in order to continue to function. So it kind of does like Matt says, you know, it kind of spikes my brain waves and helps me remember things like I don't know, Moby Dick. Well, that's a good input. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was actually reportedly, let me give another outdated reference, ready? Teddy Roosevelt was reportedly the first to say the term or the phrase good to the last drop, which was a famous Maxwell House, I believe, uh, uh, reference. So that he was the first uh, to evidently say that. Also... I found out that the smell alone of coffee stimulates you. It actually gives you energy, just the smell alone. Mm -hmm. So your point, Amaris, is very, very good. Uh, Finland is the country with the most coffee lovers. Hmm. Uh, New York City dominates in the coffee field. There's like seven times more coffee shops. And and there is well when it's allowed again there are um, coffee festivals. Yes, and the New York New York City is the most coffee shops per capita in the entire U.S. I'm still stuck in Finland. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm with you on that one. I'm yeah. totally confused over that. Yeah, and what Finland being the most popular uh, country. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about this. Despite what you have all heard. Coffee and tea do not dehydrate you. How many times have you heard that coffee and tea dehydrate? A lot. Yep. It does not. Uh, Chock full of nuts, right? You familiar with that, Chef? Oh, no. Chock full of nuts uh, started out as a nut roaster, Mm -hmm. and then they pivoted to coffee, but they kept the name. Well, you know, it's interesting. Some of the best small coffee houses there are actually use nut roasters. Oh. Small nice. roasters made for that. I, Old City Coffee in Philadelphia uh, is one that uses that, which I would say is the oldest coffee house in the city of Philadelphia, being that it is located in the Stephen Gerard's uh, coffee warehouse mm-hmm. dating back several hundred years. And... Uh, coffee is the second most consumed beverage after water. So think about that. That is pretty interesting, right? I actually might debate that and okay. go to tea. Okay. Uh, I a lot of research in that tea is because of Asia. Right, and yeah. Tea is, tea is that. I, there, there has to be really close. And, and you might be correct on that one. I, I, I've read things that it's tea. Is, Honestly, and, and thank God they don't drink coffee or else they'd be none for any of us. <laughs> That's true. The caffeine that is taking out, of, that is taking out, taken out, uh, is actually uh, sold to uh, soda companies. Uh, you know, so your decaffeinated coffee when they take the caffeine out, that is actually sold to soda companies. <laughs> so is I, that what uh, Coca-Cola did in, in lieu of the other thing? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what about you, Chef? Uh, what's your experience with coffee? What do you know about it? How about cooking? 
Is there well, anything we can sure. cook? I mean, coffee is a wonderful thing to use. It's used in a lot of Latin dishes, a lot in American mm-hmm. dishes. Coffee is, uh, you know, espresso rubbed beets is a fabulous way to go. I judge a restaurant by two things. One, the type of coffee or espresso maker that they have. If they have an automatic machine, it ranks low for me. Okay. I want some skill. I want somebody who can make a drink. And two... I judge them because I'll order an espresso and I want to see that crema. I want to see that beautiful layer of like a light foam that's just perfect brown color on top. You do that, you rank up there in in the restaurant world with me. It gives you points. Your food still has to be good, but that coffee is Mm -hmm. really important. And I want to piggyback on Matt's great point earlier, uh, but they did studies that say that coffee – uh, aids cirrhosis of the liver. Like mm-hmm. you can, uh, pre- it, it prevents cirrhosis or it helps it. Well, let me read it. Uh, it. It lessens cirrhosis of the liver. Instant coffee, which is what everyone, most people use, uh, was invented in 1907. And became a trend in 2019 and 20. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And the phrase cup of joe, uh, came from the American military used to be called G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. and they were uh, synonymous with coffee. So Real. that is where the term cup of Joe. Real American from. heroes with the Kung Fu grip. Exactly. So, Matt, let's give more input. What do you think? What, what, do, you, uh, what do you cook? Do you cook with coffee? I mean, I do a little bit of cooking with coffee, but uh, I think uh, what's more interesting always is brewing with okay. coffee, uh, whether it's, you know, people who trade their barrels uh, of beer or, you know, coffee aged in liquor barrels. That is, you know, really what excites me. And that's why I love these small sort of independent coffee houses and roasters yeah. because they get the barrels and then they get to do interesting things, right? Uh, like a, there was this place out by me, Harvest uh, Coffee Roasters in uh, Medford. They were doing uh, whole beans that had been in uh, gin barrels, right? And it had just such a unique and different taste, right, with the botanicals mixed with the coffee. And it was, you know, really something special, right? And then other ones, you have tequila. And then other and then other times, you put coffee right in the beer, right? You have your coffee stouts or at Zed's, we make a cream ale that we actually threw. It was John's Micro Roast uh, coffee into and, you know, it's zippy, it's coffee, and it's just, it's all great. And did you know, real quick, and then I'll let Amherst talk, uh, coffee stays warmer 20% longer when you add cream. Did you know that? Hmm. Go ahead, Amherst. Well, first I want to say, I got to get on Lori's track of delivering beer <laughs> to my door, because um, John has that that, that uh, perk, and I'm like, ooh, I want that perk, too. Speaking of coffee, but um, I I use coffee. I grind it up to a fine powder like you would with espresso. Nice. And, you know, I, it's a great thing to add into a dry rub that you're creating a dry rub from scratch because it elevates the, the f- flavor profile. And it'll sometimes, you know, highlight another fla- uh, another spice that's in the dry rub. So that's interesting. Yeah. And coffee consumption. I want to make sure I get the right facts so I don't get flooded with emails. Coffee consumption reduces the risk of cirrhosis of the liver by 43%. That is the accurate thing. Mm. 
So drink your coffee and then make some of those healthy uh, cocktails. And it says New York, people in New York. See, they tell me not to go off script, and that is why I have to uh, correct myself. They say that the people in New York drink seven times more coffee than any other state. So, uh, I mean, that's so ubiquitous. Everything about New York, you see those little (laughs) blue cups in everybody's hands. Every show, everything ever filmed, talked about New York ever. So, yeah, I can believe it. There's a lot of questions about New York drivers also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to get this in because this is interesting. Uh, Brazil could not afford to send its athletes to the 1932 Olympics. So they actually put them on a ship and had them sell coffee at the ports, and they were able to go to the Olympics. That was in 1932. Another outdated reference, by the way. (laughs) Final thoughts on coffee. Chef Gene Blum, what are your final thoughts? For me, find a small roaster and go in and have them roast your coffee and get the freshest possible coffee. If your grind from whole beans to grind is more than 48 hours, you're missing a lot of flavor. I was going to bounce off of that. Um, small roasters, there's Pilgrim Roasters that's in Maniac. They roast, they actually go to small batch farms um, that are in foreign countries and bring it back and they roast their own coffees. So small roasters support local. And Marite? Uh, coffee is part of your everyday life, right? So don't waste those two or three cups a day you have. Fill it with good stuff. Right. Like get your MCTs or your medium chain triglycerides. Try doing bulletproof coffee. Like see if you can use coffee, not just to give yourself a buzz, but maybe up your health. Sounds good. Let's go to break. We'll be back with healthy cocktails. You can find Dining on a Dime every Friday at 1 p.m. on WMLD radio app and on air at 103.7 FM in New York, the voice of the Hudson Valley. Okay, welcome back. The hottest trend, one of the hottest trends right now are healthy cocktails. People are trying to healthy up their cocktails. Uh, Chef Gene and the co-hosts are going to teach you more about them. Chef? Well, I want to start off saying how wonderful it's going to be having Matt here, who's also an enthusiast of all things alcoholic beverages. And uh, it's really wonderful to be here and talk about healthiest cocktails. There's really no such thing as a healthy cocktail and the fact that, you know, a cocktail is an empty calorie to begin with. Alcohol is empty calories. But there are some really wonderful ways to enjoy that buzz and, you know, relax and have a couple cocktails and feel much better, reduce your calories and really get some of the antioxidants and other things that you can get from fresh fruits, from fresh vegetables, things like that. I mean, the ultimate, going back, you know, many years, we could say that a Bloody Mary was a healthy cocktail. And if you had a hangover, it was a great way to go. You know, you took that, you put some lemon, some lime, some celery, uh, you know, tomato juice, and then the alcohol to the hair of the dog. So a really good thing there. But some that I recommend. So these are a few cocktails that I've worked with doing weddings and things like that. And we're going to start off with a very simple one. A peach mojito. Peach mojito, a little, you know, a medium 
fresh sliced and peeled peach, a little bit of mint that you muddle in with that, a little lime juice, uh, some good white rum. I put a little bit of sugar in mine. You don't have to. I think it's a fabulous thing. And you top it off with some club soda. The traditional way to do this is you put it in a glass, you muddle your peach, your mint, your sugar, your lime, you pour that into a Collins glass with the rum, you pour it back into your mixing glass, you pour it back in, you top it off with some ice and a little bit of club soda, and you have an absolutely fabulous drink Mm -hmm. that Amaris is going to tell me she wants right now. Well, of course I want something like that, but I actually was going to up the ante because I was at a a new distillery that I unfortunately don't, don't have the name at the top of my head, but I I basically took what they created as a mojito, and I'm not a big fan of the super sugary drinks, um, so I had them substitute the, their um, simple syrup liqueur for a brandy, which would cut the sugar. It's still sweet, but it, so it added just the right amount of sweetness for me. And we're actually going to get into that a little bit in the next uh, cocktail, which is, this is the bottle size and it's a fun thing. I'm a huge sangria person and I'm a gardener as well. So I have lots of lavender growing all over my yard. So I love a lavender sangria. So what I do is, you know, I get the cheapest Pinot Grigio that I could find. I find that when I'm doing things like sangria, the cheaper the wine, the better. But to that, I will add a little bit of brandy, about a half cup to that bottle. And then I'm going to add a little bit of Grand Marnier, which is going to give me a little bit of sweetness to that as well. And I make a lavender simple syrup. And I keep the lavender simple syrup around all the time. So it's a half cup of water, a half cup of sugar, two tablespoons of culinary lavender, and then two sprigs of fresh lavender. I end up usually throwing in about seven sprigs of fresh lavender because I really like it. And I mix all that together. I finish it with a couple cups of club soda and you have an absolutely wonderfully refreshing summer drink that is just delightful for everybody. Another, but what I add into that to really make it better is I go with, I use frozen peaches because I'll substitute them for the ice cubes oftentimes. So a pack of frozen peaches, and then I will slice up about a pint of strawberries. Absolutely incredible, all that fruit that's going in there. And by the time you get done the bottle, you don't really care, but it's healthy. And and also because you had that um, all that fruit sitting in the the liquor, I love my favorite part of cocktails is the drunken fruit. I love eating the drunken fruit. I'm so notorious for that. <laughs> when I was younger and and we would get shore houses in the summer, the one thing that we would all do is make something to go to the beach, and it was all kinds of watermelon and cantaloupe and honeydew and plums and apples and everything else, and then we would just kind of pour grain alcohol and a little bit of soda into it, and we would sit at the beach and eat that fruit all day, and that was our healthy cocktail, and then realized we couldn't walk back to the house. (laughs) Another really fun thing is along the same lines, whereas you can take a little bit of Prosecco Mm -hmm. and I do a little bit of thyme simple syrup as well. Um, And I take a little thyme simple syrup, put that in the bottom of the glass. I add a couple slices of strawberry to it and then I pour the Prosecco over top of it. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful, refreshing and healthy summer drink. Poolside, nothing better. 
I was going to say like the the trend right now I've noticed in cocktails is they're using, you know, uh, sprigs of thyme or rosemary um, is another popular one. What about you, Matt? What's uh, what's a healthy cocktail that you may or may not have had? Well, I mean, it's almost not even the alcohol you have to worry about really with these cocktails. It's what are you mixing it with? Right. Uh, How much sugar is going in there? And, you know. Obviously, in an exercise like this, we're going to lean more towards the clear liquors, uh, you know, things like that. I think that when you have to sort of maximize that flavor, I think gin is certainly uh, the best way or the way that I would prefer to go because you have, you know, those botanicals. You have that little bit of extra kick to it that you wouldn't get from, say, you know, a regular vodka, something like that. So I think you have to go, especially if you want to go trendy, right, and and be a little bit bougie, classy, you know, whatever it is that the kids are saying these days. Uh, Grab your favorite kind of LaCroix. uh, What is it? LaCroix? LaCroix? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, LaCroix. Uh, Maybe uh, I like the grapefruit one, uh, something like that. You know, add in a little bit of your gin that really livens up, adds that little bit of extra herbaceousness you know, to the flavor. And I mean, you've got something, it's super simple, but it's not going to break the bank for you calorically. It's not going to overpower anything. And then, you know, even from a, not exactly a cocktail standpoint, but, uh, you know, you have local places that are experimenting with making their own uh, seltzers or ciders or that type of thing. Those drinks tend to be lower alcohol. They tend to be lower calorically, which, you know, the boozier you get, the more you have to eat to keep up with it, you know, that type of thing. So switching to an option like that is something that's viable and you can always, you know, kick it up a notch. Like, uh, I went to, uh, it was, uh, seems like forever ago. I was at evil genius when they launched their line of seltzers. Right. And they had, you know, like orange and lemon lime. And those are easily things you could incorporate, you know, as a mixer or as, you know, a little bit of extra base alcohol uh, for a drink. And I think those are wonderful things that you can use to, you know, liven up a drink, uh, you know, or just enjoy on their own. It's really, really, I think this is a great time if you want to drink without loading up on the calories or, you know, really getting too heavy or having to go towards, you know, the harder stuff like your whiskeys and your bourbons. And um, it's kind of pain, <clears throat> pains me to say that a little bit. I know. We, yeah. we, we, stop. <laughs> we love our browns. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. you know, touching a little about what you just said, there are some absolutely wonderful spiked seltzers out there. Mm-hmm. Smear it off makes a whole great line. And playing around with... That recently for an Asian dinner I was I was looking at. So I ended up taking a couple cans of the Smirnoff Spiked Sparkling Watermelon Seltzer. And I happened to come across this, but I took some canned lychee nuts. So I drained the juice off. I saved the juice. And I mixed two cans of that with about six ounces of lychee juice. I threw in some lychees to the glass. And then I took a couple small pieces of watermelon, the little watermelons you can get in the winter, you can get in Chinatown, 
slice that up, put it on there with a little bit of mint. But the lychee and the watermelon so and sweet. the spike seltzer was absolutely fabulous. And because it was the you know the juice from the lychees that it didn't have an excessive amount of sugar in it, and it was just absolutely the cocktail to have with Asian food. Yeah, and I, I want to plug lychees for a second because, honestly, if you've never had a lychee before, you should. It is a, such a delightful little uh, fruit that it's it come, it's small. It's not a big, big fruit, but it's absolutely delicious, juicy, and has so much flavor. So I can see it sweetening up your drink um, quite quite easily. <laughs> it's It's a really fun fruit. It really is. Uh, you know, Matt was talking about, you know, getting a little bit just upscale and things. And one of the things I discovered was a blood orange Moscow mule mm-hmm. that is made with a little bit of mint leaf, a little bit of lime. Vodka gin works as well in this particular situation, too. And then a little pomegranate juice or palm. And it's topped with a, and a little blood orange. I'm sorry, a little blood orange juice in there, which you can get at a good, you get a Wegmans, you get a lot of places like that. So it's not that hard to find. And then top it with ginger beer. If you're not familiar with ginger beer, it is a great product to make cocktails with. You can really have a lot of fun using it as an additive to things, uh, really spicing up your cocktail list and just playing. And not every ginger bear is made equally. Some are, are harder than others, but um, that is definitely one of the most delicious things that, because I'm a huge fan of ginger. So the fact that they made ginger beer, which doesn't contain alcohol, but um, well, some do, some do, yeah. but, yes. um, but it is, it is a wonderful additive for, uh, for drinks. And I mean, you can't get, do a Moscow mule without, without it. So mm-hmm. correct. And I think uh, especially because we are leaning towards those warmer months, you know, you're going to have the lighter cocktails, right? You're going to want something maybe a little bubbly. You don't always have to have a soda or a tonic water around. Sometimes you have, say, maybe a heart soda that can help you out with that. And I think Amaris can tell us about that. Um, so I actually have Bravazi, which is a woman-owned seltzer company, and it's a hard it's a hard seltzer, um, and they have four different flavors. And you don't even need to mix the the drinks the co- into in, turn them into a cocktail. They're delicious on their own. Um, I right now I brought in the grapefruit flavor into the studio so um so that Gene and Matt can try it but it's absolutely wonderful wonderful and you know off of healthy you know cocktails that we're playing off of you know grapefruit is something that you make palomas with so you know maybe it, maybe while you're making your paloma you can add in the grapefruit hard Italian soda and you know keep that keep that liquor going up, <laughs> but it is a healthier, healthier, healthier option. So. Okay. Uh, last thoughts. We have 30 seconds. Matt. Uh, hydrate well, drink responsibly. The, big, <laughs> the biggest thing that causes people to gain weight from drinking is not being able to do anything the next day. That's true. Let's go to break. And we have a fantastic interview after break. Out our new podcast, Learn about world cuisine. 
where we travel to a different country from around the world each week and give you fascinating facts about both the country and the cuisine. Our world traveler gives you his real-life experience in the country, and our wine expert gives you the best wine pairings with your cuisine. Our podcast is available on all platforms, or you can simply Google Learn About World Cuisine to listen to the show. So, on the line with us, welcome to Dining on a Dime and WMLD All Out Radio Station. It is Chris Coco from the Whizzle Truck. He is one of the amazing and talented chefs who has created numerous um, cheesesteaks that I've tried and they're absolutely delicious. So, Chris, why don't you get us started with how, how did you come about creating these cheesesteaks of yours? So, you know, basically, uh, you know, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, essentially, uh, eating cheesesteaks my whole life and being a Philadelphian, being from this area, I feel like it is our heritage. It's our duty to continue this process of cheesesteak making, especially me as an Italian-American being that, you know, Pat Olivieri back in the 1930s invented the cheesesteak. I, I even more so feel like it's our duty to carry on the tradition not that, you know, cheesesteaks are just for Italian-Americans, but they're for everybody. However, you know, I feel like it's my duty. Um, I want a good cheesesteak, so I have to make a good cheesesteak for everyone. Um, I start with really fresh rolls with about four, maybe five ingredients in them. Uh, I, I don't get the cheap brands that have uh, relaxers in them or preservatives in them. They have a little bit of sourness to them. Not quite a sourdough, but you can tell it's an artisan made roll. Uh, and then my meat is freshly sliced. I slice it from a top round. It's not ribeye, so it's not overly greasy. And I chose a top round number one because one of my favorite cheesesteak places uses the cut of top round, but also um, you can really pack on a lot of things to the top round as opposed to a ribeye, which can easily get greasy. The top round you could add more cheese, more cheese, mayo, um, any kind of condiment really you'd like without it getting overly greasy. <laughs> One of my co-hosts over across the way uh, kind of grip, you know, cringed at the the mayo option in in your <laughs> cheesesteaks. <laughs> um, yo, don't don't hey, yo, everybody see, and and this is something. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like like saying someone has an ugly baby. You can't say somebody has an ugly cheesesteak. It's not fair because everybody. I'm telling you, every single person does their cheesesteak differently. I know that from making them. I know that from living here. Everybody wants it a little different. If they want mayo, you know, let them do it. Wait, why be a hater? Why hate? Especially for me, why would I hate? I'm making money off everybody. <laughs> as long as they enjoy it with Mad Dog, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you got the MD2020, is that you're saying? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that's garbage, so we can go on with that. But <laughs> I, I personally don't put mayo on my cheesesteak, but if you want to, go for it. Do yeah, it. There you go. I think you just saved yourself in Gene's eyes. <laughs> um you know, I, I definitely have to say when I was tasting your cheesesteak and, and when Jim Pappas, who is, you know, the renowned cheesesteak king in this area, um, he he had liked it, too, like a lot um, and looked forward to actually, you know, leftovers because we both you made so much food. We were we had been expecting more people, but, you know, there was tons of leftovers and I was super grateful for that. But also, I want to mention you do things other than the cheesesteaks, too, like you did the the fried 
grilled cheese, which I've never done. I've never had before, but it was like, oh my God. (laughs) So how did you come about deciding to do that? Okay. So I I realized, you know, at a certain point, yes, I have, my menu is 90% cheesesteaks. However, you know, you need options for people who aren't feeling a cheesesteak or want to eat maybe like a little lighter in, you know, to a degree. So I thought to myself, okay, so I need other options. So I have a vegetarian option, which is a cauliflower cheesesteak that, you know, I hope you try one day. Um, I have a vegan option, which is a a char sui. I'm probably saying that wrong, but char sui Chinese eggplant that I make totally vegan with a miso whiz that I make with uh, vegan mayonnaise. And yeah, it's really good. It's really, I I should have given you one. I I didn't, but I should (laughs) have. Anyway, uh, (laughs) and then going to the deep fried grilled cheese. So it's called a Corosa. And I'll tell you the, the honest to God truth. I saw a video online, maybe six months ago, seven months ago, and it was, a marinara maker. I, I can't even remember which one. It's one of the jarred marinara makers. I'm not even big on jarred marinara, but the video looked cool. It was one of those promotional, like, with our jarred marinara, make this and dip your stuff in it. And I'm just like, okay, well, let me look at this. And it was a Corosa. Now, the Corosa they were making was very traditional. It's a Sicilian, uh, basically just fried mozzarella it's in like a light kind of batter it's not exactly a sandwich it kind of resembles a sandwich so i thought to myself i'm gonna put this like literally on bread so i'm gonna get a nice fat slice of mozzarella uh not the fresh kind the slicing kind the fresh kind would never work too much water content um so you get the slicing kind and you know i did some things to it i put it between some bread i battered it i fried it and it was good and guess what i do i dip it in marinara it's great (laughs) I want to also mention that you did you did something with your cheesesteaks that I haven't seen anybody else do, um, it, which is the burrata cheesesteak. Um, how did you come to decide like to put burrata of all things on a cheesesteak? Well, so I guess as I was mentioning how I just thought of demographics, I have to I have to admit. So I thought to myself, okay, what if I'm at an event or a party and there's a vegetarian? Boom, I need. An option. If there's a vegan, I need an option. If somebody doesn't want a cheesesteak, I need an option. And then I thought to myself, what if the highbrow crowd's there? I need an option. So highbrow crowd responds well to burrata. I mean, it's just the truth, but everybody loves burrata. You know, I say my company is not highbrow. It's not lowbrow. It's unibrow. It's for the people. It's for everybody. I'm actually developing a unibrow character who holds a cheesesteak. So that's my thing, man. I want to be for everyone. I don't want you... To go to my truck and say, you know, everything is like Lebec Finn in here. This is like Barclay Prime. I'm spending $47 for cheesesteak. I don't want that. But I also don't want you to show up and be like, hey, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, Sunoco has better cheesesteaks in the sky. I don't want that either. So that was kind of my burrata thing. That's kind of to balance out, you know, some of the more regular things on the menu. It is really good. Now, traditionally, for that exact cheesesteak, I do Taleggio. The burrata is kind of a special. It's pretty expensive. I'm thinking about putting it on the menu permanently. But for right now, it's kind of a special. Normally, that cheesesteak is taleggio, which is a really fine soft cheese from uh, Italy with truffle salt. So that's that's the usual version of that cheesesteak. The burrata was kind of you know an extra add-on, but people seem to really like it. All right. We'll be finished about 7. Can you have them here by then? <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> it is really good. Now, here's the thing about the burrata, though. I can't do takeout with that. You need to eat that immediately because if I wrap that thing up and you get it in an hour, 
the burrata is cooked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, it turns a whole different texture. It's not creamy anymore. Like, you need to eat that thing on the spot. Now, we also have Matt here, who is our brewer. He brews uh, beer over at Zed's in Marlton. Matt, it looks like you had a question for Chris. Yeah, but with nothing to do with beer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But uh, I guess my question is, I, I've looked through the menu. Everything looks, sounds delicious. You know, I have everybody who can vet it for me. But I'm wondering, other than the traditional cheesesteak, like what 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 an alternative blend gets ordered the most? Because I see the Fang Bang, the garlic bread cheesesteak, uh-huh. and, and I just want to tear that apart. I, I would have to imagine that's probably got to be one of your <laughs> most ordered options otherwise, right, outside of the regulars. I, You're 100% correct. So that no, – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say because there was a little bit of a, a, a segue there. I was like, I've, I tore that up. <laughs> you dug it? Oh, yeah. I definitely dug it. <clears throat> but, oh, good. Yeah, that that's definitely one of the one of the big ones. Uh, yeah, just I, I smear some butter and a little bit, you know, a little garlic oregano mixture. I I put it right on the flat top. I let it get nice and crispy. I, I just put it aside. I put it aside. I let it cool down a little bit. Put the steak up, and you know what I do? It's a little different. I I, I transfer that steak meat over to exactly where I I, I toast it up that roll so that nice little like garlic butter juice is still there so mm-hmm. i cook the steak in that garlic butter juice a little bit you know salt pepper i salt pepper everything kosher salt fresh cracked pepper i'm not using you know whatever you got school cafeteria um and yeah i i throw it in that cheese steak and it is nice man i like it with provolone you can do any kind of cheese with it i will say my favorite cheese is provolone i know it's called the whistle truck people love whiz which is cool and everything and you know, I have it. People love it. My my favorite is provolone. I think, you know, a lot of slices of provolone, salt, pepper, fried onions. That's it for me. We're we going mild or sharp provolone. You know, I love them both. I love them both. <laughs> you know, the, the sharp, I, I'll tell you what, I, I would need a really sharp beer to go with a sharp provolone. I'll tell you that much. So I have two little questions for you concerning that. Um, first, you mentioned earlier that kind of your favorite cheesesteak uses top round too. You want to kind of reveal who that would be? Where you go when you want a cheesesteak other than your own? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now. It's it's in Atlantic City. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you three. My top one, my last meal would be uh, White House Sub Shop Atlantic City on Arctic mm-hmm. Avenue. Really? Um, I don't know. Oh, God, yes. That, that's the one. You know, it's the bread, man. For me, it's that Formica Ducktown Atlantic City bread, and, and, and I'm there I will with, say they used. The, I'm there with a the hoagie. So I, I'm there with a the hoagie. I'm not there with the cheesesteak, but I, I I do agree that the bread there is truly special. But yeah, I, it's to me that's the hoagie place. I, I'm not there with the cheesesteak. But what are your other two? Uh, donkeys and then Joe's oh, yeah. formerly mm-hmm. uh, Chinks. Yeah, I'm I'm a donkeys guy too. I agree with that. Um, so the other question I had concerning Wiz. Housemade, uh-huh. house made, correct? You make your own? No, n- not right now. I okay. will in the future, and I'll tell you why not right now. I just don't have the facilities for it. When, okay. when I do have the facilities, it, it is in the plans. Now, I will say people, people do, you know, there's a huge amount of people out there who do like the jarred stuff, and that is what I'm using right now. And I actually may keep that on the menu, but I will be developing a house-made Wiz option. I just, you know, that's going to be 
half a year down the road probably when I have the facilities to make that because I have to make it by the batch. You know, I have to make large quantities, you know, if I want to put it on the menu. So that's why I'm holding off a little bit on that, but it, it will be coming. No, I was laughing earlier. I said, you know, you have fabulous bread. You you bake it fresh. You you know, you're really conscious about what you're putting in your bread. You're using locally sourced meats. You're doing all that, and then you're putting whiz on. It's like that's like I don't drink, I don't smoke, but I shoot heroin. <laughs> I, you know, it's like and, and but, I, but you don't have to put the whiz on. No, no, no. <laughs> I, and trust and trust me, I'm I do not. Cooper Sharp. So I will. I have, I have Cooper Sharp, and I have provolone. I have Taleggio. I have Kerrygold Irish Cheddar. Oh, so that's an awesome. There. The, the heroin when there. The Irish, <laughs> ch- Irish cheddar is excellent on a cheeseburger, too. Well, well that's great it's to know. It's called the McWizzle. I'll tell you what, that, that's actually an excellent option because I had it on a cheeseburger one time. It was phenomenal. <laughs> oh, I love Irish cheddar. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Chris, um, I know that you are still working on getting your, your truck ready for uh, the truck you food truck season, but uh, where can people find you right now? Okay, right now I, I have a radius of about three miles in Delco, so you have to be very close to where I'm at. But if you are anywhere near Norwood, Pennsylvania, it's on Chester Pike. Um, go on literally every delivery app. Um, we're talking DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats. If you're within a close proximity to Norwood, but uh, you know, starting end of April, uh, actually. My first official event, I just booked it today, and it's a charity event at um, Sunday Breakfast. It's a homeless shelter that I volunteered at before, and we're doing a whole thing there uh, Monday, April 26th. It's for about 60 homeless men, and I think that's how I want to start this company. That's that's really how I want to start my truck is it's going to be you know totally free and you know start us on a good foot. Yeah. And, and I mean, Gene, who's across the way from me, he, he has worked with charities all over the place. Um, he has a history with it. I have a history with working with charities. So that is a, a great way to, you know, get your foot in the door, get your name out there. Um, now how can we find you on social media? Okay. So whistle truck on Instagram. I'm only on Instagram right now. I think I was thinking about being on the other ones. I think Facebook is for super old people. Let's be honest. Uh, Twitter's Twitter's really political. And I'm in my thirties, like, you know, no offense, but uh, Twitter, Twitter to me got too political. You know, I think we know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to stay on IG right now. Whistle truck, W H I Z Z L E truck. Um, Beyond that, my website should be up and running. It has that kind of, you know, we're working on it uh, landing page right now, but whistletruck.com by the end of this week, it should, you know, be pretty robust and, uh, you know, finished off. And, you know, I'm 100% accepting bookings for private events. I have a few graduation parties booked up for uh, for May. So I'm looking to do looking to do a lot more of those. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. And if you, you know, want a great cheesesteak, go track down Whistle Truck. Thank you. Okay, let's go to break. That was great. You can find Dining on a Dime every Friday at 1 p.m. on WMLD radio app and on air at 103.7 FM in New York, the voice of the Hudson Valley. Back. Chef Gene is going to take over and talk to a fantastic 
CSA. Talk about them, uh, Chef. So, Anchor CSA, Wrightstown, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. A wonderful uh, CSA. And if you're not familiar with what a CSA is, it is community-supported agriculture. So, it is a farm where you can buy shares of produce or sometimes produce and eggs, sometimes even meat. And, you know, there are a few that actually do some dairy. But you can buy into it help support the farmer during the slow season, which is the winter. And then in the spring and in summer, you get a share of vegetables for you and your family. It's an absolutely wonderful thing to do. And we're going to find out much more. I want to welcome Derek McGeehan and his lovely wife, Dana, uh, the owners of Anchor Run CSA in Wrightstown, Bucks County. So, Eric, to start with... um, I know a little bit about the two of you, and one of the things that I find is truly unique is you did not grow up as farmers. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the CSA world and to the agriculture world in general? Sure. Uh, I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Um, maybe 18 years ago, I guess, uh, when we both were in college, Dana, my wife and I, um, on at separate schools at the time, we, I guess, first heard about, um, organic farming and the community supported agriculture. Uh, and, uh, right before I met Dana, she had apprenticed on an organic farm, um, outside of state college. And, uh, we, we both kind of fell in love with the idea, um, of farming. Uh, we liked the community aspect of the CSA. Um, and I guess we followed our degrees to, non-farming jobs, but remained on the receiving end of CSAs in the DC area. And um, I guess we stayed down there for about a year and a half after college, but realized we wanted to sort of follow our passion while we were young and decided to break away from that world and get uh, more involved in farming full-time. And we apprenticed on an organic CSA farm in York County, Pennsylvania. Um, And then while we were there, we found out about the, the gig at Anchor Run um, in Wrightstown and applied for the farmer positions here, um, I guess, 13 years ago in 2008. Um, And that kind of leads to where we are now. Well, so where we are now, tell us a little bit about, you know, how does the CSA work? Uh, What do you grow? If you can explain the different types of shares that people can get and then the type of farming that you do there. So yeah, CSA, it's community supported agriculture, um, sort of like a a cooperative. We have um, community members that purchase uh, shares of the farm um, for, you know, you can have a, you can have a community supported anything really, but ours, yeah, is focused on agriculture, obviously. So um, yeah, our members basically pay us to grow produce for them. And we, everything we grow on our farm uh, goes to our members. Um, So for our our main season lasts 26 weeks from mid-May to mid-November. We try to give out, you know, to our members anywhere between like 10 and 20 pounds of of produce, vegetables um, throughout the season, uh, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 different items. Um, Basically anything that grows in this climate outside of corn, uh, we, we grow, uh, for our members. Um, you know, our goal is to craft a nice rounded share each week. Um, we have three different share sizes that members can choose from half medium and full. Um, 
Yeah, that's basically what it is. Um, so yeah, it's basically and, a cooperative-based system. Okay. I think you're an organic farm, correct? Yeah. So we yeah we're certified organic. Um, our land that we've been that we're farming here, I guess, has been um, treated organically since 2004. It was the first year of the CSA program on. Um, it's a hundred acre open space preserve where we rent about 25 acres from Wrightstown Township to run the CSA. Um, see, yeah. So if I'm a member and I buy into a share, do I have other responsibilities? Do I, you know, get to, do I have to come out and support the farm in any other way? I know some CSAs ask you to volunteer uh, so many hours a week. If it's, you know, a small share, it's X amount of, hours if it's the full share it's a little bit more do you have that there too at anchor run yeah so we we give members the option to get a, a discount on their share if they want to come out and work on the farm for a set number set number of hours um throughout the growing scene it used to be a requirement for all members to come out and work but maybe eight years ago or so we gave members the option to basically pay full price and and um not come out to the farm to work if they really, you know, we found a lot of people ran out of time or some people didn't, you know, some of our members didn't want to do the labor. Um, but we wanted to keep that there as an option for members to receive a bit of a discount. Um, and a lot of our members do enjoy it. Um, it's, you know, not a big time commitment for a half share. They do four hours, medium is six and full is eight. And that's over the course of a, a full growing season. So if a family of four came out, um, for a two hour shift, you know, they would, they would, um, satisfy the eight hour requirement. So we schedule, um, you know, three to five workshops for our CSA members each week at two hour increments. Um, you know, it really helps the functioning of the farm when we get, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of members out to, uh, you know, pull some weeds or help us harvest and makes, makes the work go a lot quicker. Um, and it's a great way for us to meet our members, you know, get to know our neighbors. Uh, you know, we try to educate, um, you know, our CSA members too, they learn a little bit while they're here. Um, you know, all of, all of our members pick up the produce at the farm, you know, there's a big pick your own component. So it's, it's a way to get more involved with where your food's coming from. Um, which is one of the reasons my wife and I got involved in farming in the first place is, you know, getting a little bit closer to the source of things. Um, and a lot of our members, I think, appreciate coming to the farm and, and being part of the space that's here. And, um, you know, feeling that connection with, with their farmers and, you know, their neighbors and like the land where the food's being grown. Um, I, I think as a chef and as a, an aspiring cook, a CSA is a wonderful thing because you do never know what you're going to get. You know, one week you can get some red beets and some asparagus and some squash and some different lettuces and you have to find a use for it. So it really brings out your creativity. And I really like that. I think it's a great challenge. And I think a lot of other people should pursue that and take a look at it. <clears throat> and I do understand that you, the, I really actually envy the pick your own component because I know you grow herbs and flowers as well for members or you are growing herbs and flowers. People can just come and pick. So that's a really wonderful thing to get into um, in that aspect. I know that Amaris has a question for you as well. I do have a question. I have a couple of questions. Um, I'm going to bounce off the herbs and flowers. So one of the things that I actually love is edible flowers. Do you grow edible flowers for, you know, your members to pick and, um, and incorporate in their foods or, you know, is it just the display flowers? Um, yeah, we, we grow 
fl mostly flowers just for, you know, uh, flower bouquets, bunches. Um, we do have, you know, grow calendula and nasturtiums, a small patch in the herb garden or around the flower. Um, some of the other like perennial area or flower areas around the barn. Um, so yeah, they're, they're there. We don't, we don't grow a lot of them. Um, you know, I guess I know farmers that do do that. It's kind of like a specialty item. Um, like I, it seems like farmers that do grow that are more, it's more for like chefs or, um, the restaurant industry. Um, but yeah, we, we participate in it, but not on a big scale. Mostly the flowers we grow are, are for, for bunches and bouquets. Um, and also like for me, I have n no green thumb, like plants come to me and they die. Um, so, <laughs> so for, you know, your CSA with your members coming, if somebody like me, you know, approaches you and is like, I want to help out, but it's a teachable moment, you know, would you, would you take the time to like, you know, sit there with somebody like me who's buying into it and like um, wants to learn a little bit more, you know, would you, would you also be open to teaching or is that already like part of your program? Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we, we, we try to educate our members, you know, during work shifts, um, you know, a staff member will lead them. Um, you know, every week we put out a, a newsletter with, with information on, you know, what's going on in the farm, how we're growing things, um, you know, highlight a crop or two that week or whatever we've been focusing our time on. Um, and we, you know, we, before COVID, we would have, you know, monthly potlucks and or, um, you know, cooking classes or little workshops, um, either focused on fermentation or how to process or how to store and like, you know, deal with the abundance and the share that you might be receiving. Um, cause there is a learning curve, you know, when you join a CSA, you do, you know, you do get an abundant amount of fresh produce each week. And, um, you know, I, I try to tell a lot of, you know, new members to maybe start small with a half share until they get used to, you know, how to just store everything when they get home and then use everything without it going bad. Um, but yeah, we try, we try to educate when people, you know, with, people have questions for us, we definitely, you know, try to give them, you know, nice, solid, honest answer. Um, you know, we're very transparent with everything we do since all of our members are, you know, a big component of the farm and are picking up here and out in the fields with us. So, um, yeah, we try to, we try to share, uh, you know, all the information we can with them, especially in the weekly newsletters that we send out. So one quick question, if we could touch on a little bit, you spoke about, you know, the borough or rights town and how they supported an open space. Touch a little bit before we get your information, the benefits of being a CSA, obviously to the farmer, to the consumer and to the environment. Sure. Uh, yeah, I would say there's lots of benefits to all those uh, folks you just mentioned. Um, you know, I think for our members, um, you know, they're, I like to think it's an economical way to get involved in, or in, you know, purchase organic produce. Um, you know, you're, it's like kind of buying in bulk. Um, so you're lowering the price a little bit there and you're also buying directly from the farmer. So there's not a lot of like distribution middlemen that are, you know, adding to the cost. Um, you know, the freshness is another huge benefit um, to the, you know, to be on the receiving end. Um, you know, and that the connection, which I already mentioned to like knowing where your food comes from, but, you know, for the farmer, there's definitely a benefit. We, you know, with the CSA model, um, 
we know what our operating budget is in advance. We know how many members we're going to have in a given year. Um, you know, we get paid uh, for our produce in advance. So once the, when we're harvesting crops and distributing, we don't have to worry about the finances. All that stuff's already taken care of. So we can just focus on growing food um, and the benefit to the environment. You know, it, all agriculture interacts with the land in a certain way. Um, you know, there's no getting around that, but you know, organic farming, our goal is to minimize the, you know, disruption. Um, we don't use any, you know, pesticides or chemicals um, on the farm. You know, we use cover crops, uh, which are basically, we're intentionally sowing plant species that, you know, might fix nitrogen or they, you know, will secure carbon. And, um, you know, so we're hopefully improving the soil over the long term, um, you know, sustainability and, um, regenerative is a new term people are using now for this kind of agriculture. You know, the goal is to be using the same plot of land to grow food, you know, in, you know, forever basically, but you have to make sure you're not taking out more than you're putting in. And, um, you know, we, we try to do what we can to, you know, live harmoniously with the ecosystem. Obviously we're, we're interacting with it. Um, but you know, our goal is to respect it and hope that we can work, with those natural systems to, you know, raise good quality, you know, food. Um, so hopefully that answers the question. Well, with a degree in geology, I'm sure that what you're doing is really the correct thing to be doing for the environment. I, I do respect that a lot. Can people still get in and get shares for the, for the growing season? So yeah, for this coming season, we're basically almost sold out. Um, we're going to have, you know, a waiting list uh, link on our website, um, you know, in case some of our applicants don't follow through. Um, but yeah, we're very close to being full for this season. Um, you know, if, if, if folks are interested, you know, they definitely get on the waiting list. If spot doesn't open this year, um, you know, if you're on the waiting list, you'll be, you know, what you'll find out that we're, you could sign up for the following season before the general public. So we typically open up, you know, open up for 2022, uh, you know, in October, November. Um, but th yeah, things have been, we can fill it, I guess. Do, so COVID has been a benefit for the local food or local farming. It seems like at least um, in that there's been a lot more interest in, in, in CSA and farmers markets, I think. So we, especially last year and, and this year, even more so we're, selling shares and uh, selling out earlier than, than we had prior to COVID. Um, so we're kind of on the cusp of having to, to say we're sold out for this year, but well, that's um, fine. That's absolutely fine. So in our last minute here, if you can yeah. tell people how to get hold of you, where we can, you know, find out more about anchor run CSA, how people can get on that list for next year, so on and so forth. Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess anchorrunfarm.com uh, is our website where we have, you know, links uh, for joining or the waiting list. So there's also information on the shares. We have pictures up um, of all the shares we've given out um, over a couple of years. Um, you know, some of our farming practices, all that information's there. Um, emails, anchorruncsa at gmail.com. Uh, phone number is 215-598-7040. We do some social media, uh, reluctantly, I guess, but, uh, yeah, we have an Instagram page that we, you know, we, we participate, post pictures on there and I guess as well as Facebook, uh, 
not super engaged and active on social media, but we do, uh, I guess during the growing season when we're snapping pictures for the, uh, the newsletter that we put out each week, we kind of post uh, some more social media um, updates. Um, well, but yeah, mainly our website, so. And we're going to end with saying that you have the most adorable directors of human resources that people can <laughs> ever want to see. So for those people who know that your directors of human resources are, you know, under the age of eight, uh, (laughs) but they, they are absolutely wonderful. I love seeing the pictures of them. Hopefully they will be farmers one day as well. (laughs) Uh, It appears that way you're raising them right. Well, thank you very much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. Again, anybody who is interested reach out, contact anchor run farms uh, in Wrightstown Bucks County. I strongly suggest joining a CSA. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate your time. Or Derek, appreciate your time. <laughs> hey, no problem. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Wow, what a great show. Let's give our tags. Uh, Chef Gene. You can find me at Gene Blum or at IB Foodie on any of the social media platforms, or you can email me directly if you have questions related to any of the cocktails or anything else we discussed at I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E, the number two at yahoo.com. That's ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. Amaris. You can find me across most social media platforms under either my name, Amaris Pollock, or under my handle, A.R. Pollockus. You can find me in line for coffee and beer. <laughs> that's in real life. Online, you can find me at mmaratea22. That's M-M-A-R-A-T-E-A in the number 22 on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped if you want to follow along with beer. And as always, thank you to Last Out Media for the lovely studios. And Philly Restaurant Reviews with an S.com. All of our shows are on that. And I want to also thank you, WMLD, yes. All Out Radio, for replaying us on Fridays at 1 p.m. That is correct. We'll see you next week. Sporting Chance Podcast. Crack one open and give this podcast a chance. It is a weekly rundown of Philly sports, a dive into craft beer, and a peek at the sports memorabilia collection of Matthew Maratea, which is also me. Join me as I am a lifelong fan, a craft beer industry worker, and a sports writer as I'm trying to tie together all of my passions for give you, the listeners, a refreshing look at the world of sports and beer. You can tune in on iTunes, uh, Anchor, Spotify, and any number of other podcasting apps. So be sure to check it out and look for it weekly, the Sporting Chance Podcast.